morning, good afternoon, good evening. You're listening to the All Talk Car Podcast. I've kept this quiet. It's a taste, a little entree for me uh, as I'm heading to America in a couple days' time. Hosted by Peter Ronas. We have a listener that reached out to me, Paul. And Paul brought something special. It's a Corvette Stingray C8 Australian delivered Carbon edition. Carbon edition. First you, customer delivered one in the country. The first one in the country. Keep going. What do you want to know? 2020. <laughs> Waited four years for it. <laughs> and mate, I've, I've been waiting for this day. I don't talk about what's coming up on the podcast because whenever I do, it always falls apart. And it's been effing fucking raining. And we've had two aborted attempts and we, we've done it. And I'm glad I'm doing it for the States. Uh, so we're going to go on a live drive, but mate, we're just sitting in here at the moment, just looking and talking and just talking that the build quality in one of these things. The first, I've been in a Corvette before, um, not in a C8. Um, I was taken for a hot lap at SEMA a couple of years ago, Paul, um, in, would have been a C7. Okay. And Was it one of the like standard ones or Z06? I, no, it would have been a standard one. So. Back General Motors had a track at the back, so SEMA is a convention in, in, in Vegas, second biggest convention there, the first one's that CES electronic show, and this is the big one, and the car parks are converted into tracks, so Ford at the front has got um, jumps and they take you on hot laps in whatever car of the moment, whether it was a Ford Focus a couple of years ago, F-150, uh, uh, what's the big one? The so Raptors. Is it a tar, tar track or actual yeah, so this tar, is a cut dirt track that they can do four-wheel drive jumps. Ford do tar jumps. Okay. So they probably put it there and move it. At the back, another car park was is Continental Tires, where they drift M3s. And then another car park. General Motors hasn't been there for a couple of years, but when the Camaro first came out, they you could drive a Camaro around their track that they put with cones, etc. And then you queue up, and then they get, then they take you on a hot lap. So that was my first taste did of Corvette. Did you have a run around in the Camaro? Yeah, I drove the Camaro. What did you think of that? How that was a nice it? car. It was one of the the first um, Camaros. So it would have been based on the Australian architecture. The Australians designed the Camaro. Yes, that was the the first uh, ones. Zeta platform or something. Correct. It was one of those ones. Simco did that. And it was a great, firm car. Nice. Um, I didn't really push it because we didn't know the track. And, but we were free to do whatever we wanted for one, one and a half laps and then you queue up and then went into the Corvette and they're a piece of machinery these cars and we're now sitting inside the C8 and it's like two cockpits you've got your own um, we're going to put up some photos on Instagram so effectively what you've got is everything's sort of towards you almost old BMW school style where yeah. everything sort of comes it towards you. originally put me in mind of the Supra when the first of the Supras yeah. came out. It had that sort of wraparound feel. I think they um, I think they called it a bit more of an aeronautical sort of pilot focused position. Um, a lot of the journalists made some initial comments that they didn't like the sort of divider between the driver and the passenger with a row of buttons up that uh, I don't that mind panel. It. I'm sitting I've, as a passenger. I've I actually got it. used to it. The thing yeah. that I found was interesting was the buttons that you use there are not really regular buttons. You'll set your climate control to a particular yep. temperature and leave it. And then all the buttons that are driver-focused are basically at the top of where your hand reaches next to your drive uh, mode selector. So you've got your climate control, heated seats, cooled seats, and the rest of the aircon stuff is synced out, so yep. you never really have to reach any lower. Yep. And then you've got the passenger side that has so that's my see. Yeah, I can yeah, see so my dial down the, down the bottom. So basically, just so I can explain it, it's a long, thin strip. It's about what, f- half forty centimeters? Yeah. Yeah, fifty. Yeah, fifty half a meter of strip of buttons that that, d- that divides me. So from your center screen all the way to say where my seatbelt goes in is a row of buttons, and the top half is sort of driver centric. So they're more for you, and it sits sort of arm's length next yeah, to your your ergonomic where the buttons are for the gear shift and then you've got like your rotary controller next to the buttons for the gear so it's all ergonomically fine this is a car that i've already put almost six and a half thousand k's on so it's not one that's sat in a shed and hasn't been used it's been and you you enjoy using it because it's probably it's designed to be driven and, and to be used there's nothing quirky 
and it's factory converter right-hand drive. So unlike the Camaros with HSV and and the Ram Utes and all the other American cars that are coming to Australia, they strip them out, rebuild them, swap this cor- parts. Yeah, over. this Corvette comes off from the production line from this way. Bolingbring, Kentucky. It yeah. comes right-hand drive. We're going to go for a drive in a moment. We're still sitting having a chat. How was the sort of? The, I mean, this is the first one that came in Australia. Australian delivered. How was the deposit process? Because there was that funny period where Holden switched and HSV took over. Was there any issues that they keep you in the loop? There was no, no drama. No, the or? communication was very average. There were some people who were on that queue to buy cars that actually had more information coming through Facebook groups and small connected groups of individuals that had info coming from America that was actually yeah. keeping us more up to date okay. than the dealer network so the dealer network was predominantly the old hsv network yep um i think they call it general motors specialty vehicles yep they changed the name you're right so all the deposits or at least the deposits for probably the cars that will come for the next three or four years were taken originally by that holden slash hsv dealer network yep some people the dealer principals moved you know i've heard of people that had deposits down and then the dealership basically said we didn't have enough information therefore we're just going to refund everyone their money back yep. um, I was pretty lucky I had a couple of dealerships Sorry, that I that's had. me rookie error yep. so I had a couple of dealerships where I had deposits in and that I'd done business with before so I was lucky and I was on the queue from early on in the piece probably yep. my only cheeky little thing that I did was I basically said to the dealers would you prefer it if I lease the car or buy the car outright okay and most of them make a little bit of extra coin. Yeah, it makes a the, difference. With the lease, yeah. so they said yes to that, and I basically said, yeah, no problem. But four years later, when the damn thing arrived, they're like, do you want to still do the lease? I go, no, I'll save the money. There's a little bank account sitting aside for it. Come on, so, guys. So, professional tip, always Tell go to the finance. Because they, they yeah. like you more if you're going to take a lease out. And then your aunt gave you that money that she promised you for the inheritance. So. God. If only that was the case. <laughs> so, yeah, so, okay, it was, a, it was a funny time in the Australian sort of car industry with Holden and, and HSV promising, and, and it's, it's good that General Motors have stuck to their guns, because at the end of the day, the factory could have turned around and said, F you, you colonialists, we're not building right-hand drive. Exactly, but I think, I think this particular car, like, I've got a lot of friends and I've had a lot of interesting cars in the past including things like you know I've done a lot of time on racetracks in Ferraris and McLarens and some really interesting toys and uh, it to me my experience of owning it and my feel from the like the guys that I race with and the guys that we catch up with and we'll go for a drive together and it's almost like this is the general motors basically the FU to the rest of the European supercar world and basically say look what we can do when we put our minds to it. Um, So basically for those who aren't familiar with the Corvette range, C8 means like the 8th series since the 1950s. But it's the first one to be a mid-engine car. So they took the the original architecture. I think right from the, the concept at the beginning, Zora, the guy who basically penned the original Corvettes wanted the mid-engine but it wasn't until this eighth generation that they basically were able to, if, to do it. For those who read American car magazines from like the 70s and 80s every new series that's announced they keep predicting mid, mid, mid-engine mid-engine and some, some, some of them finally said we got it right after decades of promising. Well, what, what was interesting I've had, a, I've had a few in the HSV vehicles and I was very close to getting one of the ZL1 Camaros. Yep. And I remember driving that car and they really, really wanted me to, they were trying to push me to take one of these cars. And I think yeah. at the time, that was that sort of period when H- HSV and Holden had basically said they were exiting the market. It was probably about 2017, 2018, and they yeah. still had stock of some of those vehicles around. And I like cars, but I like to drive them. Yeah. And I can remember driving that ZL1 platform. And it was an amazing engine. I test drove it in the manual. I test drove it in the auto. And I can remember just out near Sutherland, that sort of loop around where the bike track is up yeah, in yeah, the park yeah, yeah. there. Good section of road. And in both the manual and the auto, just to launch it on a dry road, on a warm day, flat stick, 
to 100, I must have corrected both those cars at least three or four times to keep them going so in a straight twitchy. line. I don't know whether it was the spec of the Australian tyres was different okay. to, the, yep. to the ones they were allowed to use in America. Yep. But it was a car where you, your, your feel was, it is an amazing engine, an amazing gearbox in manual and auto, but the platform is no longer at the point where it can deal with can that kind it. of power. So I was like, there's no way, I want to enjoy it. It's, it gets to the point where it's, you're losing performance because the chassis doesn't keep up with And the I platform. think that's the problem the Corvette had with the C7. They it reached the, the limits of the rear exactly drive traction right. with a front engine, and they had no choice but, and they did, and they've done a fantastic job. This chassis, I think the last iteration of this chassis is designed for a 1,000 horsepower combination petrol and electric oh, vehicle. Oh, sure. And... This one's what 390 kilowatts. What's that? 500 horsepower, yeah, or something like about that. that. I trust my grandmother driving this car. It's yep. that easy to drive. the The car doesn't straight line acceleration. It'll. I think the quickest zero to 100 I've managed to pull out of it is 2.6 with launch control. Yep. But it'll comfortably do 29. I think the slowest I get just on a normal launch without launch control is like three seconds. And so this, I've basically, I don't even bother using launch control. You don't want to have your head plugged in the seat every I know, time. this is the base. What are they going to do when the Z06 comes out? That's right. That's exactly right. And you've ordered one? Yes. <laughs> Yes. And they've just been released in the state side, yes. so they're, they're getting good reviews. And I think, from a collectability point of view, the one thing that I think is really potentially going to be really special about that car is every manufacturer of V8 engines across the world are basically building equipment in an environment where the emissions legislation is probably going to leave that as one of the. At the moment, it took the top spot from the 458 Italia as the highest capacity output per kilowatt for normally aspirated engine. Mm. That was the previous V8, top of the, mm. top of the tree. So this one has knocked that off out of its position. I don't think there's gonna be any manufacturers building V8 engines in this new environment of that sort yeah. of emission control True. stuff. So to me, I look at that as a collectible product, not just for a Corvette or an American supercar enthusiast, but I'd just, say that across the board will have collectability for anyone who loves naturally aspirated internal combustion engines that are really drivable. We're, we're at the clasp, and and, and you, you commented earlier, which was quite funny, so we've got the Tesla park next to the Corvette, and you said your son would probably oh, he'd run, he'd run to the Tesla he'd, he'd, instead he of the He would run Corvette. to the Tesla instead of this. <laughs> he doesn't like this. So, Paul, I'm happy to swap overnight if you want to impress your son, mate, and I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll look after the Corvette. Mate, I'm telling you, it's, that's that's the funny thing. But I actually had this conversation with a friend over lunch yesterday, and we were talking about how nostalgia shapes our view of what we love. Yeah. And my ability to sort of try and pick what I think is going to be collectible is look at you. It's a combination of what you said, which wasn't correct about my great auntie leaving you money, right? Yeah. But it's interesting because if you sort of track back to people and you go, what was the poster car that they had on their wall when they were 17 years old? And then you follow that person to, you know, 55, 60 years old. They've educated their kids. They've paid off a few properties. They're comfortable in their business. Yep. And then their 90-year-old re relatives pass on. And all of a sudden, there's this cash injection to the 65-year-old male or female going through that point in their life where they go, you know what? I loved. For me, it's it was a, for yeah. me it was a, a F40 Ferrari. Yep. For some other people, it may have been, you know, the Sierra Cosworth. It, it could, there's just yeah. something that yep. tickles your fancy. One of my best mates, he's incredibly successful. Supra old super like the 80s yeah the square ones he loves those cars that's his yeah, dream the slowest car. piss those cars <laughs> but you're right and then if he if he bought when when we were in our 30s with no money that's when they were bottomed that's out you, they were 20 years wanted. old they were bottomed out but he had no money or kids or family or because i mean this is a top a two-seater you can't put kids in this and then when you get your right to the 50s and 60s and you've got that's that when disposable, they do the irresponsible and that's purchases. when those cars come back up and you're like damn Wish bloody I had a board. life very true. I think we're going to have to press one of those buttons. Okay. Is that D for drag or D for drive? D 
Stephen Drive. <laughs> okay, let's, let's give it a go. Which mode do you want? Because the one thing that I actually was really impressed about this car, from an ownership of this sort of category of car, there's not many cars like this that you can actually take your wife and go for a holiday. So this one, I've taken to the Hunter Valley, two carry-on bags in the frunk, which yep. is the front boot, boot. slash bonnet. Um, two duffel bags full of clothes, including a couple of dresses laid flat behind the engine. That one gets a little and bit And that's warm. part of the Corvette mantra. You yeah, they're, fit, they're tourers. They want they're to fit their cars. luggage in there. Yep. Um, traditionally, it was two golf clubs, but I, you know, the, I think they they reckon they can do that. I've if you go to putt putt, no, no, they can do it. They can do it. They show it on the video. Oh, okay. So I want. I was going to ask you, those buttons you can choose, but there's the one thing that I actually think sort of plays into that grand touring concept that the Americans really, really love, is it's a very distinct car in the fact that it has quite distinct modes. So you can make this quite comfortable you've got the magnetic ride control it's quite a compliant usable car that you can actually use every day if you flick it across into race mode and you know to how to play with a few of the settings yep. all of a sudden everything changes from uh, the feel of the steering you've got Suspension a hydro you've settings. got a hydraulic booster cylinder on the brakes yeah so not only does it stop you boiling your brake fluid but you actually have the ability to change the feel of the brake pedal. So in normal mode or around the city, you can have it nice and smooth and soft like your Toyota Camry or any other yep. in a normal car. And then you can flick it across to race. And when you're in race mode, the pedal feel is actually like a pedal box in a race car. So one of my good mates, we've done quite a bit of racing in his McLaren 720S. And that's one of my absolute hatreds of that car on the street. So you take the McLaren 720S on the racetrack, you, the adrenaline's there, you're hitting corners at really high velocity, you, there's so much adrenaline, you mm. brake, you brake hard, you don't notice how much force you've got to put into the brake pedal. True. The first time you drive it to a T intersection on the street and you pull up like you'd expect to pull up in a normal car, you think you're going to go through it's the through intersection because you've yeah. actually got to grab the steering and you've got to push, push it that push hard it. that you're bracing yourself. So some of those sort of really track-focused things, you can dial in or you can dial out, which is one of the things I want. What do you want to try it in? Quiet and comfortable? It's quiet, or? and then we can build up. No problem. You're, you're the captain. Now we're... So we're in uh, wife mode, is that what you called it? Uh, this one <laughs> this one is... At the moment, it's in my mode. So my mode, I've got it set where you've got a little bit of the exhaust now. Yep. Steering's still quite sharp. Brake pedals reasonably soft. Suspension That's is at the softest settings. Um, do you, are you telling are you telling everyone in your podcast whereabouts we are? Because uh, they might have some concepts of how rough the roads are around here. Okay, well, sometimes when we go very fast, we, we go to Mexico, but uh, yeah, well, we're not in Mexico. We're not in yet. Mexico we're at in the somewhere moment. with potholes that'll swallow yeah, half your car. Yeah, that's that's uh, yeah, that's Sydney for you after the rains. Yeah. Uh, Where do you suggest we go? Well, the Hume Highway is that way, so we might as well head towards open road. But yeah, so you're right. You can just puddle along. We're just taking off. We're cruising along. I mean, you can feel the bumps, but you can feel these bumps in any in any car. Oh, here's another moment. good feature. So coming up to speed bump, press that. So the front raises. Hydraulically lifts about 30 millimeters. Then you press that button and it remembers it because I've never been across that speed bump. So before. now it remembers that there's a speed hump there. And it feeds it back into the GPS. Yep. So next time we. Next time we come, yep, we're it'll get remember. To that speed bump. It'll remember where it is, and about 40 meters before, it'll start. It'll get ready. The front of the car up. One of the interesting things that help, like when I probably spent a day mucking around with launch control, the best launch I got out of this car was two six, and the way I did it was spending literally half an hour warming the tires up, and then I got all the settings that I thought would work with this particular patch of bitumen and then I lifted the hydraulic lift up so there was an extra 30 mil of lift on the front yeah. and a bit extra weight over the rear wheels <laughs> and I think that helped me snag a, good, a really fast time. I haven't seen anyone else go through uh, a 
that, that level of fanaticism <laughs> to have a go at it. But it was one day of mucking around. So the nose lift will give it some better traction I at think, the back. I think it throws a bit more weight. And by the time you get to about 50 k's an hour, it automatically starts to drop down. But, yeah. It was, and it's, it's funny, there's a ram in front of us now with its, the big ASV logo. So they must call it what, Australian Special Vehicles? Could be. Maybe this is a converted Yeah. One. And the... Mate, you're sitting pretty low. Those exhausts are staring in our faces. Yeah, it's, you, you don't realise how wide this car is. It's actually... There's a lot of room. I mean, Paul is your regular, your medium junior size. I'm not. And we've got heaps of room between us. Yeah, so. exactly. And I'm sitting really far back. I, my feet are hardly ch- uh, touching the f- sort of front footwell. I've got heaps of room. Uh, my yeah, seat's quite you, back. I think you pulled the seat forward a bit. Too. I did pull it forward a bit. I'm still sitting way back. So, um, so we're just out on the uh, the open road, just cruising along in poor mode, and yeah, it's very comfortable. It's it, it's it, it, it's it's a cruiser. It doesn't feel. Um, no, the cameras are there. I was going to show you another camera. Oh, okay. So Peter's just walking oh, out a speed camera, but. I looked one of, up. One of the big problems with sort of uh, two-door mid-engine cars is usually visibility out of the rear of the cars. And this one has a camera mounted on the roof. So your roof-mounted camera serves a little LED or LCD screen yep. in your mirror. So the rear view mirror is the actual camera view. Camera view, but it's quite clear. Yeah, it's, it's almost... Very clear. It is looking like a through a rearview mirror. It, it's that'd be like an OLED display, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's it's really high resolution. That is and in very the, in clear. In the night time, it's absolutely gorgeous because you don't end up getting you know blinding gl- lights in your in your face. See, so you, you flicker like you, you, like a normal um, rearview uh, mirror, and it, it gets rid of it. It's a great feature. It's got. Some people complain about not having things like. Lane departure warnings and uh, autonomous braking and stuff like that. I think people, yeah. most people, are buying this kind of category car. Are happy to do all the work themselves. You're not sitting on your phone, no, no, SMSing no. your mates. You're enjoying it. And the like, talking about when you said uh, side alerts, the the rear. It's got the sensors. The light. It's if someone's in your blind spot. Yeah. It'll actually let you. But know. the actual mirror is way out because yeah. it's got the big ass. The like. You see the, 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 the air scoops at the back and the, the rear tyres, it does come out of the back compared to the front. So the, the uh, rear mirror, the side view mirrors do go that extra distance across um, to get that full view from behind. In terms of width, I can't remember the number, but I was, was chatting with my brother about it and he was Googling while we were, talk, while we were driving somewhere. And it's 100 mil wider than the Ford Ranger. Oh, wow. The track at the back. Yeah. And I think it's about 60 or 70 mil narrower than the Ranger Raptor. And like when you see those cars on the street, they're pretty damn wide it's, cars. And they're high too yeah, compared to what we are. You, you don't realise how wide the track on the car is to actually see something in front of you yeah. that's that wide and how much of the lane it takes. If you go left, you'll go down the drive. Yeah. 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 I'll take it. If we can get back, we'll get, get a run onto the M5 and... Yeah, and, and basically, and the front bonnet slopes away. I, I have that same sort of sensation with a Tesla. Because there's no engine at the front, you're, you've got a full view of the road in front of you. The, the front bonnet just drops away, so you can't really see the front of the car. You've got a full road view, uh, which is typical of uh, mid-engine or... Here we go. Sorry, Andy. We were in the, the Turbo S earlier, and you can't you can't oh. substitute V8 cubing. No, no, I'm just talking about the the, the driver of the uh, the 911 that we the previous live drive, Andy's uh, Turbo S. That that got up and boogied. That was only to about 70. <laughs> it's a V8. That sound. There's no, sound, turbo, there's no that, lag. That, that, that sound. And that's that's in the most gentle gear settings. Uh, it's yeah. You people are going to miss that sound moving forward. I think the um, I think the other thing that they've done really, really well in this car is they've they 
they've understood their buyer. Their buyer wants to feel that engagement. Their buyer wants to do, you know, like the cut, the, the way the sound comes back into the cab and the feel of it, the, the feel of the gear change. Sometimes you can get in cars like, we used to race an M3 CSL. Yep. And in the gear settings on that car in the most severe gear shift, you actually thought there was something breaking in the car. It was that loud, it was that violent that you almost felt uncomfortable, you felt like you were doing damage. This thing in the most ferocious gear settings will still give you that lightning gear change. There's that audible snap between the gears that it's more an engine sound, but it doesn't feel like a mechanical, like you're damaging your equipment. Yeah. Um, What's, what sort of gearbox is it? Is it a, is it a dual clutch or is it a... It's a dual clutch, it's an 8 speed and it shares the same gearbox as the brand new Maserati that's just come out. The MC20? That's the, the one. Yeah. That's the one. So it's a pretty pretty sophisticated gearbox for, a, for an American car obviously. And I noticed on the gauge we just dropped to four cylinders. Yeah, so it's got the cylinder shut off. So you can't override that but you don't actually notice it. Yeah, it's now back to four and you don't feel any change in the gearbox or the sound no. um, I think General Motors have got that cylinder deactivation stuff down pat I think they needed to do that for emissions and I think in the States they do have like a gas guzzle attack yeah. that makes a big difference as well so surprisingly the fuel economy on this car has blown me away like I don't know whether it's because it's such a light car or it's slippery through the air on average city driving and I'm not like I'll, I'll accelerate pretty hard off the lights all the time. I've never got worse than 17 litres per 100k around the city yeah. average. On a country trip, this drops down to about 8.9 litres per 100k's. That's less than the A45 that I had that was sitting on 12s, 13s in the city, which is better than this, but on the highway it'd be like 10, 11. Well, I, got, drop. I got a little Renault, Renault, Renault Megane trophy that I use as a, a runaround for city yeah. appointments. And that, that thing, I never, ever got less than 17 litres per yeah. 100k out of that little 2 litre turbo. Because they're working hard. Yeah. Where this thing's... The, the, the American V8s, is a, it's all about torque. It's, it's effortless uh, driving. It's not all about um, revving its tits off to, to get the most out of it, even though it can. But this red line's, what, 6.5? Yeah. The yellow's at 5.5. So it's not really your sort of 9,000 RPM type Ferrari V8. We're, we're, roll, we're rolling in third gear at 22k an hour. Yeah, I don't even notice it. It's, um... So surprises, did you, did you, I mean, you love it. Did you think it'd be this good? Did you expect no. any compromises? What, what? No, I, I, I honestly thought it would be quick. Yeah. I thought it would handle reasonably well. It actually handles a lot better than I thought. I was waiting for another set of tyres. The wheels that are on it are forged lightweight racing wheels and I'm waiting yep. for another set of tyres. Getting um, getting the rear tyres in has been a little bit of a problem in terms of supply in Australia. So I'll take it out and do some track days at Eastern Creek. But the thing that I was really impressed with, there was a few articles that came out that talked about slight understeer in these cars. Yep. And I think what people don't realise is if you're used to really powerful front-engined rear-wheel drive cars they're like a big happy happy dog flapping their tail around and it's fun and you get used to it and I don't mind throwing the thing sideways and having the, the rear of the car out and then you know you're waiting to feather it back it's, it's part of what you it's become second nature yep. the grip levels on the mid-engine cars are so far above what you're getting from those front engine cars that the small amount of understeer that you can detect in these things is great because it's almost a warning sign. It's letting you know that you're at the edge, back off a touch and you'll stay and you'll keep your toy in one piece. The problem with getting rid of all that un understeer and having no understeer is that the grip level is so high that when they do break away often you, you're going to find it very challenging to pull it back and the one thing that this thing impressed me with like I was looking at some of the stats one of the I think one of the highest like 
they put the cars on a circular skid pan. Yeah, lateral G's. Lateral G's. Yeah. The GT3 RS is 1.24 G yep. cornering, which yep. is bloody impressive. Oh yeah. This thing pulls 1.2 G in cornering, but that's on run flat tyres. Okay. They're doing a 1.2 G out of this on the shittest tyres that you could put. If yeah, you put a really good set of tyres that were equivalent to what you've got on your stock GT3 RS, I think they're Michelin Pilot. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Super Sports. The, the Super Sports. Yeah. Exactly. So, to me, the, like, the characteristics and the handling that you're getting out of something with very, very average tyres on it, compared to what you'd put on if you were really doing some dedicated track work, I'm... I'm blown away by it. And I think that slight bit of understeer is really an investment in keeping this keeping you safe. Yeah. I mean tires play a big role. People underestimate the role tires play, especially when you when you get to, to this level. Um, your tires play a massive role in grip. And then when you get to those extreme level of tires and then the heat in the tires plays also a role. I mean, you, you can't just jump in and start um, driving at 10 tenths when your tyres are cold. You can really get yourself into trouble without realising it in these high performance tyres where if they're getting 1.2 in just your normal run flats, that's, yeah. that's amazing. That's fucking speed cameras. Why would Everywhere. you... <laughs> Look at this, we're in a traffic jam. We're in a traffic jam, the road's covered in Floodwaters, and they've got a speed camera there. Yeah, we just went. We just went forward driving through some floodwaters. I should. Just tempted to lift the hydraulics. Up. <laughs> just slide it. Have we be dry before we do a bit of a launch onto the motorway? But uh, we're nearly there. Just we're stuck in the bit of peak hour, but we'll, we'll get so there. So what? What we can do while we're waiting? Do you want me to flick through some of these screens? Yeah. So let's. So let's talk things? about the interior. So we, we had the the stereo cranks. It's got a a Bose stereo system, which is just amazing. We haven't paid enough money for the copyright of the music that we're listening to, so let me just say it was great. <laughs> it was amazing. Uh, but you've got oh, that was a surprise. I thought that was a surprise when I got the car. I was real. So not the, that I'm a doof doof loud music kind of person, but I was really impressed by how good the stereo. So there's it's there's a twin digital sort of cluster. You've got your central screen straight at you, and what we said earlier, like that BMW esque in the 80s. Remember the BMW used to have the that sort of console pointing to the uh, to the driver. So you've got your your screen with your Apple CarPlay, Apple CarPlays and your. It's got a, a PDR, which stands for Performance Data Recorder, which I have on all the time. Um, it's still recording now. So that's like a dash cam. Dash cam. So you got video and audio as well. Okay, so it's so, oh, so if my new mic is shit, I can get your recording from you. Yeah, yeah, including including the video of the drive, which uh, may be incriminating, so we won't do that. But it's actually a really simple system to navigate. Yeah. Um, radio, all the settings are actually quite easy to, to yeah, configure. So yeah, you've got your, it's, 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 it's like a standard design. It's got Very all your nice. different um, icons, we call it, in your touch screen it. But now you go to the... Um, go to the drive modes and you've got, for obviously for the US, they've got snow, wet weather. So effectively we've got a taco in the middle. So it's just one screen, but you've got a taco in the middle. And then the left side, you've got some information where you flicked it to your weather mode and tyre pressures. And um, the right side at the moment is your trip computer. But So you've opened the centre screen and if you touch one of those yeah, I can steering suspension... Under each of the weather modes, yep. what you want that car to feel like. So, steering, suspension, brake feel. Yeah, so it's got like a horizontal lever, and you go from low to high into how you want each setting with a touch screen. With a touch screen. So, it's pretty idiot proof, isn't it? Yep. Um, They've got a little hot, hot button on your steering called Z mode. So, you can have all your settings of what you want in terms of what you choose to go to, race, performance, snow, my mode, etc. Yep. And then you can have one that's like, okay, someone pulls up next to me and I want to go straight away, you hit the Z mode. And that's got your... That's your, like, your we're three. ready to hit mode. And the dash has gone red. Dash has gone red. you now got oil pressure, G-force. You go across to sport, 
run through the track, you'll start to get things like... Okay, so now with the track mode, we've got the horizontal taco bar from left to right. Tire pressure of each individual. And your gear, your gear is, is bigger than your speedo. Yeah. So it tells and you it what gear there is. And it comes up with heads up display. Yeah. And the interesting with the thing with the heads up display, you've actually got two bars, and as you accelerate and get to the right rev range for the next gear, it goes until it hits towards the green the in the middle and then Yeah, so it's almost like a shift lighter. Yeah, it's got a, it's got a shift up indicator. Yeah. But the Z mode's a good one. That's at your fingertips straight away. The other thing that I think is a pretty clever feature when you're on the motorway, if you want to really launch past someone, yep, um, you can actually pull the uh, downshift lever and hold it in for a couple of seconds and then it will automatically tell the engine to shift down to the lowest gear, to the possible, gear possible to so accelerate you can go as hard so instead as of flicking down no, you just hold three it gears just bang, it just it goes straight to the, the it knows because you're holding it back on the on the downshift paddle it knows to go oh you don't want the lower one you no. want the lowest one I can give you yeah. and then you just gun it alright here we go So it's also got, so now we can look up and, and, and it's, it's got a, um, what do they call it? It's not a, a convertible. No, a coupe. So it's a coupe with a... Hard top? That's a hard top. A hard top? Yeah, it's not a T-bar. Like the, you know how some of them have those no, T-bar. No, no, this comes, comes off. Is there room at the, the back to... It goes to, straight into the boot. There's two clips to hold it in position. So, so it's it designed to, get in, to go yep. inside the boot. And it came, these carbon additions, some, there was a few of them that came with a... Like a Perspex clear roof as well. Like a, yeah. So I've got the like clear, a panoramic one. Yeah, I've got the clear clear top at home as well. Oh, so it's got two yeah. two canopies, if we yep. call it. So you've got the carbon one. I took some photos earlier of that. So and I've got the clear one, which is like almost like a blue bluey sort of color. Yeah, it sort of tries to keep some of the UV out. I'm guessing. But so that's um, and it's it's got a, a nice. Is it brown? It's a brown caramel. It's 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 I almost think it's called natural dipped. Yeah, it's natural not, dipped leather. It's, whatever that is. And it's like a maroni red. Do you know what the colour's called? Is it, uh, is red it, mist. Red mist. Red mist tri coat. So I'm assuming there's three coats of, of three particular colours that make it that particular red yeah. mist because it's called a red mist tri coat. And did you have a choice? Like, did you spec this out? No. Or, so no. you basically. So the first fifty. This is one of the fifty carbon editions. Yes. Um, there was no choice. If you got lucky and you got an allocation, you got an allocation. You could have got a blue one, you could have got a white one, you could have got a red one, you could have got So that's how there was that um, And I did think I do think I sort of I think you done well. I won the lotto with this allocation. When you color. sent me the photo and then when you actually turned up, it actually it's it's got a Ferrari vibe. It's not that deep red Ferrari colour the outside, it's more a maroni red. But the interior—it's—it's it's a classic interior. It's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's not your black. It's basically no, they're not on. These ones are on there. It's um, it's a classy interior. This won't date. This is beautiful. All right, we're about to exit pit lane. GTSR HSV. Okay. Yeah. I would have corrected it twice. 
So to keep it going straight, we're going to have you on the show to talk about some of your other cars, but you've got a GDSR as well. Yeah. Halil's got one, so I'm going to have to hook you guys up and write the next podcast and, and compare notes. But um, yeah, it's, uh, this is like so the chassis in this is in, totally different. Yeah, in terms of dynamics, something as simple as a run like that that feels effortless, you don't notice, there was no... There's no fighting with the steering to keep it straight. But the numbers, when you actually look at the numbers that come up and how quickly they come up yeah. and how quickly that shoots through the gears, it's almost like it feels too effortless. And that to me is a really, really good bit of feedback in terms of how well they've done in terms of the dynamics of the car. Because that, you know, that's a very would be a very different experience in a lot of other cars simply because they need more work to keep them going straight yeah this thing just seems to track so simply and just it's, that's all we said at the start it's effortless it really it, it, it says it does what it says on the box with these cars it's it's a big engine i can be lazy i can tour you want to listen to music you want to sit back relax but then i can make you get up and dance and drive and and, and still without raising a sweat. Um, and Even little things, we pulled up now, and we've just pulled up at a set of lights. And it's a very advanced dual clutch gearbox. But one of the things that, it's like one of my pet hates, one of my good mates has got a LP640 Lambo. Yep. It's an earlier model, but it's still a common feature in some of the newer ones. You get in those cars, mm. and those dual clutch boxes are meant for a racetrack. Yeah. The simple act of pulling up like this at a set of lights or coming to a roundabout at 30 or 40 k an hour and going through that and not having it go clunky and feel all mm. confused and search for the wrong gear and it just it does those little things that the average mum and dad car does mm. really well which is actually not something that people buying this spec car expect mm. you actually expect it to feel differently you expect it to feel like a track car all the time and you get used to those compromises um, but this one doesn't seem to... No, I don't get that. I don't feel like feel. I'm in something that... I mean, it's obvious that we're in something sporty because of the, the way the interior is set out. But at no stage has I ever felt there's... You know, like a double shuffle or he's, you've got some weird thing that you need to do to, to change the gear or... To, it's just... It's easy and effortless. The, what about... I'm going to talk about the steering. The squirk, square. the square, circle, squirkle. Like, I don't know. I don't you, know. I mean, you've had a lot of cars. Do you? Do you I, I, have, I, have, I haven't got... I'm not in love, love with it. I sort of still... I think I prefer the traditional round. I sort of get why they do it, because you haven't got any dead spots in your instrument panel. It doesn't cross out. Okay. Really. I was going to say to you, like, is but it... But I must admit, well, occasionally, if you're driving, you end up on the sort of corners of the square. You always end up repositioning. Yeah. You're back at so sort you of nine to three. Yeah, you don't think about it, but physically you don't leave your hands yeah, on those you, corners. You always end it up moving. Feel funny, yeah. Else. And the um, but I like flat bottom steering. Yes, I miss a flat bottom because when you get out, you don't, your leg you don't hit your knee. Yeah, it's um, it sort of makes sense. Um, but yeah, you, it's designed nine to three. Your paddle shifts are, are quite large. Um, they're not. Uh, Lancer Evo large, you know, almost like dinner plates. When when they're actually moving with the wheel, they don't have to be that large. No, like if you've got a steering, some of the Ferraris where they have fixed ones, they're huge. Oh, they're fixed to the. Yeah, I get it. But the wheel, the wheel moves, but the actual shifters don't. So you actually need need the dinner plate to be that size to grab it. Whereas the the ones that move with the steering. And it's still, there's some throwback things to the HSVs and the G- GM stuff, like the handbrake button is the same one out of the GTSR. A lot of these buttons and stuff feel very familiar. Yeah. Next question. It's an American car. Where are the cup holders? Here. <laughs> and they're big ones. So, in so the centre console, you flipped big, open. Yeah, two big cup yeah, holders. You could fit, yeah, you can fit them in. Uh, the ones big Pepsi's, you know, the, <laughs> the big golfs. The ones, yeah. You so that's to, that's there. And then you got. And then you got your um, yeah, where you put console. your console. Actually, was very close to buying a C7 Z06. Yep. But they're all converted, and the thing with the converted, the one thing that they could never change 
they swapped the hinge over to this side. Yeah. Sorry, they would never be able to swap the hinge over because this always had this shape, but it was opposite. So when you went to put your stuff in the center console, you had to lift it this way. It was a constant Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's still set for my... Set for the American... Yeah, 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 your left hand drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just like it would do your head in every time you wanted to get anything from the center console. Well, that's what they were said at the earlier compromise. There's no compromise with this. It's been built for Australia. When we're talking before about European cars, and one of the things that I think the reason that the Americans did it right hand drive, they wanted to get into that market. This is the base model of this in America is a $60,000 car. And one of my um, one of my good mates who's a Ferrari collector, and he's a really, really, he's, he, he collects them because he loves them, but he also collects them because he's a driver and he, he actually drives and races a lot of these these collectible cars that he's got and you know his reaction to to experiencing this was he goes you know you know we get screwed over in terms of the price but it's not till you drive something like this that's built on a production line like a normal car and the concept that you can create this for 60 grand really makes you turn around and go well is a million dollar supercar that much more special when you can get all this feeling off a production line for 60 grand where the parts are basically cheaper shit compared yeah. to your european parts it's a mass produced car there'll be parts available for the next forever 50 years you're never going to have a drama getting a part for them true it's it's almost yeah i don't know it, and it's still half price i mean you can tell me how much you paid but Compared to a Ferrari, buying a Ferrari in Australia, well, the, it'd be a third. These, the retail, when they were released, were about 190 to 200. Yeah. On the second-hand market, the carbon editions are selling for between 350 and 4. The base 3LT, sorry, 2LT and 3LT cars are sort of around the 300 mark. So most of those. People, so they're already doubled. If yeah, you... most of those people who paid. I think 160 for the bottom one. It's probably transacting at close to 300 already. Wow! So they did well. COVID's probably helped that. But yeah, when you think about the allocation, and there's 50 dealers that are selling them. When I got the allocation of this, I remember talking to one of the GM execs, and they had like 150 orders out of every dealer, and there's 50 dealers. So 100 times 50. Yeah, it's a lot of cars. That's 5,000, and they're only like 100 cars a year. No. So they're never going to be able to Fulfill keep the... up all the orders. And that's not intentional. It's because there's already demand in America for that's this right. for these vehicles. And there's it's... a waiting list in America. For yeah, them. it's are... it's not. I mean, we send, we always say that Australia, we're the arts center of the world, and we don't make cars anymore, and we're the forgotten country. But sometimes, if they could bring more, they would, but they can't. They can't do they it. They can't service their own. They market. can't service their own market, let alone. And Ford's the same with the Mustangs. We're lucky that we've got the Mustang in right-hand drive because the demand for the Mustangs are, are super high. It's a different car. It's not the same level as the, as the Corvette, but it's the same sort of concept. We're, we're lucky we got what we could get. Mm. Um, and when they first came out... But, mate, this is just an amazing car. I am really impressed. I did not expect it. I saw the photos. I mean, head-turning. Is this one of the most head-turning cars you've ever had? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your honesty. We have another story. No, I. I we, we used to like it's a fucking good looking no, car. We used to have a. We yeah. used to race a little Lotus R three forty. Oh, so you've had a lot of cars. So if you though, see yeah, if you yeah. see an R three forty, it was a good conversation starter yeah, yeah, because yeah. people would come up and they'd say, "Mate, you need a helmet to drive that car. That's an amazing." Yeah. Like, the one thing I will say about this. It's actually a good conversation starter because a lot of people don't know what it is, but when they do know what it is, I don't know, different cars evoke different sort of reactions from people, and it yep. depends on the area too. So if you pull up in a McLaren around here, yep. or a Ferrari, first thought is, is this your local drug dealer? Yeah, okay, right. yep. Let's sort of be... Our listeners know we are. Well, they know we're where recording we are. Banksdale, that's they all right. They know where we're recording, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. For some reason, it doesn't have that feel. Like, yep. you know, the people will say, oh, that's, you know, that's a really cool car. I love the American muscle. I love V8 muscle cars. Yep. There's a, 
it's a different it's, it's a slightly different, different demographic but the demographic is. of the people who love the supercars surprisingly have been the ones that are actually like most impressed with it really want it I've got two or three mates I've got one of my friends who's got an incredible collection of AMGs and he's like Paul he said I if you can hook me up, if you can find out a way to get me one, I'll pay any money. Yeah. I'll buy yours. I'll buy double what you paid for it. Yeah. I'll buy a double market. Double's not I, enough to I just want it. I just want it. And I'm like, you know what? The people who got them like me, it's not a matter of the money. I don't want to sell it. It's good. And you waited. I, I waited four years for the damn thing. I've never waited yeah. four years for anything and in my life. it's true, you know. The people that wanted, that got in the queue quick were they knew people what they that, wanted. that wanted. It's not, you, you, you didn't buy it to flick it. No. You didn't, you know, this is... Um, and you knew that you may not get one as well at the same time. That's right. um, and that was why the original questions I asked you was, you know, how was the buying process? Because it's it's a very unique car. I mean, it's a Chevrolet, really. It's badged a Chevrolet. It's not a Holden. It's not an HSV. It's not a GMSV. It's, no, they still call it a Chevy. Even it's on a the, Chevy. Even the registration and the insurance details. We don't have Chevys in Australia. Chevrolet, you know, it's, it's It is, you know, it's it's a unique car and it's... And it, and it made it to Australia and then mate I feel privileged that I'm I'm in it it's it's a beautiful car it's a pleasure it's it so thank you for having us you're going to come on the show again though I found out there's a lot more other things that we can pick your brains about but possibly mate thank you for coming on and and sharing this uh, beautiful rare expensive uh, fast unique car um for Australia and I was really excited because I'm, I'm heading off to the States and I just wanted to get a taste of Americana again and, and, and this is like the pinnacle, the top of what America offers in excess. Like, you know I mean? You've got your Hennessy's and other brands but this is like up there and, and make... That'll be an interesting conversation when you're over there. There's quite a few tuning places that are now coming out with turbo kits, supercharged kits yep. for this car. Um, there's one of the stalls you should visit. I think it's Paragon Performance. Okay, They're yep. really interesting. They've got some incredible research and development. They're spending really, really good coin, and a lot of their stuff is also factory-backed as well. Yep. Um, and I think some of those suppliers will actually eventually be selling some of those upgrade kits through the old Walkinshaw slash HSV okay. um, group in Australia. There's some rumours about that and some whispers that I've heard from people in that in that market as well so so if you if you still wanted to order a Corvette for Australia do you, you, you go to G, is GMSV, GMSV the place to go to that's um, correct and they I mean a lot of their dealerships are probably still where the old Holden dealerships were so um, just look it up just I suppose Google GMSV Australia Corvette purchase and you'll find a way to um, put get, your put your orders yeah get on the list and um Give me a call in four years' time when when your one comes. But but you won't be disappointed. Oh no, mate! I, I, I'm 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 smiling from ear to ear. I mean, I I had fun in the Turbo S, but mate, this is just totally different. This is like it's just even the back, the the the, the engine, the, the 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 way it just sits on the road. It's um, it was a treat, mate. So thank you very much for having us. And, Pleasure, um, Peter. If not, thank you for listening. Rate us, review us, send us your emails, alltalk at outlook.com.au, and bye for now.